This is The Guardian. Today, how the multiple criminal charges against Donald Trump have become a political liability for the people running against him. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's great to be back with so many proud American patriots who believe in God, family, and country. Thank you very much. Well, he's back. That is, if he ever really went away. And so are America's presidential primaries, where, state by state, members of the major parties vote for who they want to be their nominee for the 2024 presidential election. And a few days ago, at one of the first events of the Republican campaigning calendar, Donald Trump and the people trying to beat him got to show their stuff. Joan Grieve, a senior political reporter with The Guardian, was there. I spent the weekend at the Faith and Freedom Coalition's uh, Road to Majority Conference. The Faith and Freedom Coalition is a right-wing evangelical group, and it hosts this annual conference. Glad to see you on your feet. The higher your hair, the closer you are to God. Amen? (laughs) Are you guys excited about the 2023 Road to Majority Conference, or why? You did see people wearing hats and T-shirts for their preferred candidates and, you know, for their preferred causes and, you know, a lot of American flag T-shirts and hats. And so it really did have the air of, you know, almost of a sporting event and everyone coming together to root for their team, which in this case is the Republican Party. Every American presidential election over the past few years has felt a bit extraordinary. This one is happening in the shadow of multiple criminal indictments that could, eventually, send a former president to jail. Indictments that, in this race, are already proving to be a major political headache. Just not for Donald Trump. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, can anybody beat Trump to the Republican nomination? So, Joan, it's June 2023, and I I can't quite believe that we're talking about American presidential politics again, but how long do we have until Republicans decide who their candidate will be? 
So we are looking at the first voting happening in Iowa for the caucuses. Likely January or February is when we'll see the first actual votes cast. But we have a number of events before then that will really help to shape voters' opinions of the candidates. In particular, we will have a Republican primary debate in August. And that will give voters the first opportunity to hear from some of these other candidates who maybe are having a hard time breaking through in a broader way because Trump just takes up so much of the oxygen and, you know, both in the uh, Republican primary conversation and in news media more broadly, I would say. And so it will be interesting to see voters' reactions to the debate. Of course, it sort of remains unclear whether Trump himself will be at the debate. I think in his mind, he doesn't really see any sort of benefit to going to the debate because he is currently leading by 30 plus points in the primary. And so I think he thinks that by going, he's really just going to give his uh, opponents an opportunity to criticize him and potentially he would lose some support. I mean, 30 plus points is such a massive lead. Like on the ground at this conference, did you get that impression that Trump is just so much more popular than any of the people running against him? Yeah, when I was talking to voters as I was walking around the conference, I heard from a number of voters who said they were either leaning towards supporting Trump in the primary or were definitely supporting Trump in the primary. And even the other candidates, when they talked about them, they seemed to be getting defined in in reference to Trump and in comparison Mm. to Trump. And it's like, so it seems like he is still totally the yardstick, basically, that these voters are using to compare the various candidates. And if you're comparing another candidate to Trump, but Trump himself is running, then why wouldn't you just vote for Trump himself, you know? And I think that's the issue that a lot of these candidates are having, too. Like, how can they really try to distance themselves from him without alienating voters? And I think that's something they're really struggling with. That's a really interesting question. So let's try to get to the bottom of it. Starting with, say, Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor. How is he trying to define himself against the elephant in the room here, against Donald Trump? We will fight the woke in the schools. We will fight the woke in the I think that DeSantis and Trump are so aligned in so many ways on uh, policy. And so DeSantis is trying to use some non-policy issues to distinguish himself from Trump. In the dustbin of history, where it belongs. In particular, he's a lot younger than Trump. And if he were to win the nomination and go on to win the general, he could serve two full terms. While Trump could only serve one for U.S. Mm. presidents, they are only allowed to serve two terms. And that can be non-consecutive. And also, I think that in a lot of ways, I think DeSantis is hoping that his style will speak for itself. I was attached to uh, SEAL Team One, and I was proud of doing that, proud of the people I served alongside proud to have worn the cloth of our country. And I think a lot of veterans feel that way. And even though I had a lot of other opportunities, uh, you know, doing that for a cause greater than yourself is a satisfaction money just can't buy. He doesn't really dabble in the sort of name calling and the personal attacks that Trump is so well known for, you know, basically presenting almost a slightly uh, tamed down version of Trump, then he can win over some voters. And that's, you know, we'll see, you know, that's still to be decided. Unsurprisingly, Joan, abortion was a pretty big theme among these candidates. Donald Trump's former vice president, Mike Pence, is running against Trump this time around, and he called for a federal abortion ban to make the procedure illegal across the whole country after 15 weeks. Now, some you will hear from at this very podium will say that the Supreme Court returned the issue of abortion only to the states. 
and that nothing should be done at the federal level. Others will say that continuing the fight to life could produce state legislation that's too harsh. Some have even gone on to blame the overturning of Roe versus Wade for election losses in 2022. Well, let me say from my heart, the cause of life is the calling of our time, and we must not rest and must not relent until we restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law in every state in this country. Trump, interestingly, hasn't committed to that 15-week cutoff, but how is that issue playing among other challenges? For example, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and another Trump administration alumni. She was his UN ambassador. Now we're in a situation where we're having a big debate over life and abortion. But I think it's time that we look at this and deal with it the right way. She has been very wary of uh, endorsing a federal abortion ban. And that came through in her speech for sure, because basically it felt like she was almost trying to reason with the audience a little bit. She said we would need 60 votes in the Senate to pass a federal abortion ban. We haven't had 60 Senate votes in over 100 years. So we're probably not going to get it anytime soon. And so why don't we just focus on what we can get through? What we like, let's focus on what we can agree on with uh, some of the Democratic members of Congress, I'm assuming, to try to advance our uh, priorities on abortion. I think we can do federal legislation that the American people will agree. Let's stop late term abortions. Let's focus on encouraging more adoptions and making sure that we have kids and, with more. And you know that didn't I, I that not. didn't really get a lot of applause. I will say, and I think also it is probably not going to win her a lot of fans among the uh, the evangelical voters who, again, will play such a huge role in the primary. And I think that you know I think that the reason why Haley and other candidates are really struggling when it comes to the question of abortion is because they know that if they can win the nomination, they are then going to go into a general election where the end of Roe is very unpopular. And so they're trying to simultaneously appeal to the Republican primary voters who will determine the nominee while not turning off the general election voters who they will ultimately need next November. And there's another candidate in the mix, someone called Tim Scott, who honestly I hadn't heard of before. Like, what's his deal? Tell me about him. Yeah, Tim Scott is uh, kind of, he, he has been considered a rising star in the Republican Party for a while now. I'll say this, the truth of my life disproves the lies of the radical left. They want to divide our country according to race and create tribes, but I'm here to say, not on my watch. He's a very Hallelujah. interesting figure because he uh, he's the only black uh, uh, Republican serving in the Senate right now. And he talks a lot about how his personal story uh, theoretically clashes with uh, Democratic ideas and policies. So because he he is a black man who grew up in a relatively uh, low income household in South Carolina, and he has obviously made it all the way to the U.S. Senate. And he often describes his family story as from cotton to Congress because his grandfather used to pick cotton as one of his jobs uh, in South Carolina. My grandfather was born in 1921 in a very segregated South Carolina. But he believed back then what too many doubt right now. He believed in having stubborn faith. Faith in God, faith in yourself, 
and faith in what America could be. And when, when we moved in, he said to me, as a seven-year-old, you can be bitter or you can be better, but you can't be both. He has a very sort of, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of um, message to Americans. So that's his pitch. And it's interesting because, you know, it is such a it's sort of a very throwback message to the Reagan era. You know, it really really leaning into this idea of, of, oh, don't we all want lower taxes in order to do that? We need to cut government spending and, you know, provide fewer benefits. And so he's saying that. And simultaneously, you're seeing Donald Trump really going after some of his opponents who support cuts to Medicare and Social Security. He believes that these policies like Medicare and Social Security are so popular that you really can't touch them, that it is very much to Republicans' detriment to try to go after those policies, even if it would mean uh, you know, getting closer to a balanced federal budget. And so that will be an interesting dynamic to see how it plays out as the primary unfolds. So there do appear to be fault lines between these candidates. You've talked about how some want to make abortion illegal after 15 weeks at the federal level, and some don't. And some want to slash taxes and government spending, and others don't. But it's interesting that so far, these candidates don't seem to be willing to make an issue of Trump himself. His character, the criminal charges he's facing, the the chaos that surrounds him. Did all of that go unspoken by everybody? Or was there anyone who said, this guy is a big problem for us? There was one very notable exception, which was uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Beware of a leader who says that when something goes wrong, it's everybody else's fault. And he goes and he blames those people for anything that goes wrong. But when things go right, everything is to his credit. He has been by far the most willing to directly confront and criticize Trump in this primary so far. And when he got onto the stage on uh, Friday afternoon, he told the very right right wing pro-Trump audience that Trump had, quote, let us down. I'm running because he's let us down. He has let us down because he's unwilling. He's unwilling to take responsibility for any of the mistakes that were made, any, uh, any of the faults that he has and any of the things that he's done. And that is not leadership, everybody. That is a failure of leadership. And I, you can boo all you want. And that got a really strong response from the crowd. You know, we heard some scattered applause, but there was a lot of loud booing in response to Christie. I heard one woman yell, we love Trump at him, you know, as he uh, was still on stage. To me, it felt like another example of how hard it will be for a for Trump's opponents to try to break through that wall of support that he has among the Republican primary voters. It sounds like even the timid criticisms that are being made of Trump on this stage, other than those from Chris Christie, seem to swerve away from the very serious criminal charges that Trump is facing. First, can you just remind us, what are those charges? Right. So Donald Trump has now been arrested twice and faces charges in two different states, His first indictment was filed in New York, and he was charged with falsifying business records in connection to a hush money scheme during the 2016 election. This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately, immediately. 
But prosecutors say it's Trump that interfered in the 2016 election, alleging he repeatedly made hush money payments to hide personal scandals and falsified documents to cover it all up. But then within a matter of weeks after he pleaded not guilty to those charges, he then was uh, put under indictment again in the state of Florida for allegedly mishandling classified documents. And that second case is far more serious and could carry far more uh, uh, severe repercussions for Trump. Essentially, federal prosecutors are accusing him of violating the Espionage Act by retaining classified documents after he left office and then engaging in extensive efforts to keep those classified documents out of the hands of federal officials. Documents allegedly packed in boxes and stored at his private club in Mar-a-Lago, which hosted events for thousands of guests. Those documents allegedly unsecured. Stacked on a stage, in a ballroom, even next to a toilet in a bathroom. And so he is under indictment in two states. And that number might actually go up because he is also facing potential charges in Georgia and Washington, D.C. over his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Incredible. Those allegations seem like such an obvious thing to hammer Trump with, to say this guy is under investigation. He's been charged in multiple states with criminal offenses. Like, why is nobody saying that? I think the reason why they're not saying it is because they know that at this stage, it's not going to win them many fans, which is I know it, it sounds shocking. But when we look at polling of Republican primary voters, they overwhelmingly say that they believe that politics are the root of these charges. They believe that Democrats are simply targeting Trump because he is so popular within the party and that he is the front runner for the 2024 nomination. And so they don't really see a huge liability here because they uh, believe these charges to be baseless. Do you think that there is any merit to that criticism? What do you think of those charges? First of all, I think that they're going after him just because he is Donald Trump. And I don't think the charges are valid. I'm not a legal expert. I'm not in the know. But my gut feeling is that this is just a way to keep him out of the limelight, off of the ticket. And God forbid he winds up in jail. Could you imagine? But I, I really do think that he's fighting an uphill battle against all of the powers that be. But the problem is that if whether it's Trump who wins the nomination or another Republican, they are now on the record, you know, either, you know, Trump defending himself or these other candidates defending Trump over these charges. And they are then going to go into the general election with a broader uh, American public who is very concerned about these charges. You know, we see, you know, in polls, you know, 60 to 70 percent of people saying that Trump endangered national security by holding on to these documents. But Right now, at least, it seems like that argument is not resonating with a lot of Republican voters. And in fact, there are some polls that indicate that his uh, Trump support has actually gone up since these indictments. Mm. I mean, it's, it sounds like in a perverse way, Trump's indictments are right now a bigger political problem for Trump's opponents than for Trump himself. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it feels shocking to witness uh, as, you know, an outside observer, but it does make sense in the context of Trump's rise in the party. You know, when Trump was running for the Republican nomination in uh, 2016, you know, he repeatedly had these, you know, huge controversies and like, you know, reporters like uh, like us like kept predicting that oh, this will be the end of Donald Trump. This will, you know, this will crash his polling numbers and this will sink his candidacy and then someone else like Ted Cruz or Jeb Bush will be allowed to sort of take the nomination because he has messed up in this massive way. And it just never happened, you know, and so they're not going to give up on him now. So 
in all of that, if you're Nikki Haley or Mike Pence or Tim Scott or even Ron DeSantis, what are you in this thing for? What are you hoping happens that gives you a pathway to victory that right now just doesn't appear to be there? The candidates themselves will, of course, deny this. But I think that some of the candidates are hoping that if Trump wins the nomination, that he will make them their running mate and then they can go on to become vice president. And then they will be uh, well positioned to run for president in 2028, because even if Trump does uh, take back the White House, he cannot run again in 2028. That being said, and this is just my sort of personal um, sort of conjecture, but I have a hard time envisioning Trump choosing a vice president who ran against him in the primary. Trump historically is uh, very skilled at holding a grudge, I will say. And so in my mind, I think that he will ultimately, if he wins the nomination, I think he will choose a running mate who is outside of the uh, presidential field. But that being said, also because Trump cannot run again in 2028, I think some of these candidates are hoping that that their names will start to resonate more with voters as the primary unfolds. And then if they run again then they can sort of build upon that existing support to try to win the nomination next time around, counting on the idea that he will not run again in 2028 if he loses. And I'm not sure that that is, um, I'm not sure that that's a fair bet. Let me say a very special thanks to all of you that are gathered here. The crowd is incredible. And even outside, it's packed. So something's going on. We do have great poll numbers, you know. We just got some poll John, numbers. Joan, the big event of this Faith and Freedom Coalition was, of course, Trump's keynote speech. What did he say to that crowd? He really did just get a, such a warm and celebratory reaction from the crowd. And then over the next 90 minutes, he kind of did his somewhat of his typical speech uh, that we have seen uh, at his rallies uh, in the past few years. And now Joe Biden has weaponized law enforcement to interfere in our elections. The greatest abuse of power that I've seen and that most of you have seen in the history of our country. It's a hoax. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists and fascists indict me, I consider it a great badge of courage. Interesting, though, was that at the very beginning of his speech, he went into a long segue in which he was attacking prosecutors over the charges against him, in particular in the classified documents case. The Espionage Act has been used to go after traitors and spies. It has nothing to do with a former president legally keeping his own documents. But it was just so interesting seeing him speak for, I think, you know, I I believe, you know, 15 plus minutes about, you know, trying to basically dismiss these charges. And it did seem a little, uh, for lack of a better word, it seemed a little desperate. You know, it seemed like the the arguments that he was relying on were uh, felt very, um, they felt like they were on very shaky ground. He was also trying to make the argument that past presidents had uh, engaged in very similar behavior. That is a very questionable statement as well, because although other presidents, including Joe Biden, have been found to have classified documents in their possession. There's no evidence so far that any other president has gone to the extensive lengths that Trump allegedly did to keep those classified documents out of the hands of federal officials. And that is really the crux of the case against him. I was going to ask, because, I mean, you say that this speech struck you as desperate. Do you think it struck people in the room as desperate? Definitely not. No, he he just got consistently through the entire speech so much applause. I think that like you know among many of Trump supporters, including many members of that audience, they really I, I mean they take his word as gospel. You know, like they really do. Like it's like when he says, "Oh no, these charges are baseless," and like they are just a result of you know politics. Like you know, like the Democrats are coming for me because they're coming for you. They they take that at face value. I think they really like fully believe that. 
John, you say that they take his word as gospel, but this crowd knows the gospel and they must know that Donald Trump does not live his life in accordance with like Christian ethics. So like, how do they square that circle? How is he, of all people, their guy? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that came up repeatedly during the conference, both uh, from the speakers and in my conversations with some of the uh, attendees. In their view, they think that Trump can be kind of coarse at times. You know, they don't like the fact that he uh, curses a lot. And, you know, the fact that, yeah, they they view him as he can be sort of indelicate and kind of maybe sometimes mean spirited towards some of his, you know, opponents, which, of course, you know, to be clear, that is a very um, that is the most generous possible uh, way of framing how, you know, how Trump communicates. But what they overwhelmingly say is that they love what he did when he was in office and they want to see more of it. And so they are willing to give him a lot of leeway because he. He did nominate through and get confirmed three Supreme Court justices, and those justices were key in overturning Roe. Coming up, Donald Trump is popular among Republicans, but have Americans shown they're sick of him? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by better help. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Joan, you've talked about the way that this indictment might be playing to Trump's benefit inside the Republican Party, that it might actually help him to win the nomination. But then I think of the fact that Trump lost in 2020, no matter what he says about it, and his party also lost the last two midterm elections. And I wonder, is there a risk that the Republicans are locking themselves into a candidate who has now shown in three elections in a row that he can't win national elections anymore. 
we haven't really heard Trump's opponents in the Republican primary talk about that much. Again, with the exception of Chris Christie, it's actually a point that Christie really um, he really hammers it a lot on the campaign trail. He talks about Trump is a loser. He has cost us, you know, he has cost us all the White House, the Senate and the House. And we should not let him back because we will not succeed with him at leading our party. Hmm. And so it is an interesting line that Christie has taken, but it has not been echoed by pretty much any of the other uh, Republican presidential candidates. Let's say he runs and does lose again. In 2020, he was willing to fight that result to the point that it sparked what many people call an insurrection in Washington, D.C. This time, he's potentially facing the choice of the White House or jail. So is the U.S. being set up for actually a really dangerous election? We have seen a violent, deadly insurrection take place on Trump's behalf at the U.S. Capitol. What might folks do if they see that Trump is about to be you know, sent to jail? I guess my answer is that it's hard to even imagine right now, you know, how that scenario unfolds, because there will be, so I think, a lot of attempts to try to uh, contain the potential, you know, the, the fallout from those charges. And so I think we are we're still in a very uh, confusing time on that front. But I will say, you know, when you look at in particular with the Florida case, with the charge against Trump on the classified documents. You look at the the evidence that is outlined by the prosecutors and it is it is substantial, it is weighty and it, it feels at least at this stage it feels um it can feel pretty airtight as you're reading that indictment. And so we will have to watch very closely as that a case unfolds, but you know, I think that you know there there's no denying the fact that Trump is in serious legal jeopardy here. Well, Joni, thank you for giving up your weekend for this conference and for coming and telling us about it. Thank you so much. That was Joan Grieve, a senior political reporter with Guardian US. You can find her story from the Faith and Freedom Coalition conference at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Casson, Natalie Ktena, and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.